0: Welcome, everybody, to episode 10 of the Shelf Shedding Movie Show. This week is another special one for me. I am with another family member. This time it's my sister, Michelle, and we're going to be talking about movies to do with Meryl Streep. So, this is another actors' masterclass. Uh, we're going to be reviewing four movies today. Uh, just as a little bit of a warning, just so I remember to do this now as opposed to later, there may be spoilers during this episode for the four movies. That that we end up reviewing. Hey, Michelle. Hey. We we talked about this for a while, and you landed on a show about Meryl Streep. What is it that you uh, were interested in? Uh, in or, or why did you pick uh, this particular topic for the po- for a podcast to be a guest on?
1: Um, I just think Meryl Streep is one of the greatest actresses, and so um, and she's been in so many oscar worthy uh, movies and so i felt that she was a a good actress to explore it it was um, some interesting work to explore
0: do you remember if there was a specific movie that you saw where you first started thinking of of meryl streep as as one of the great actors of all time
1: probably it was angels in america but we're not reviewing them but
0: yeah yeah that was a candidate for this show it's a a six-hour miniseries um, based on a, a great play by Tony Kushner that someday might be a part of one of the uh, the podcasts. But yeah, so that's when you you first kind of started to pay well, attention to her. That
1: Kramer versus Kramer.
0: I think you were a fan of uh, The Devil Wears Prada. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that might have been a bit after you. She was on your radar though, for sure. Yeah. Um, for me, she was always a name. Like I grew up with a few names: um, Sally Field, Glenn Close, uh, Jane Fonda, and Meryl Streep, and they all kind of blended together. It seemed like they were women who, throughout the the eighties, mostly. Uh, and going back a bit to the 70s, were regularly nominated for Academy Awards and were thought of as these uh, great American actors of a specific generation. I'm not sure I completely was there with Meryl Streep until I saw Clint Eastwood's take on the bridges of Madison County. And I saw all kinds of subtle things that she does. And I, don't, I just think that was when I started to become a little bit more aware of acting and what is involved in being an actor. So that's when I started to follow her a little bit a little bit closer, and then I went back to see some movies, a couple of the movies that we're gonna be talking about here, are ones where I had to go back and, and watch them later on to sort of find out why uh, they had been given the attention that they had been given. What's interesting about Meryl Streep is, um, and I've talked about this a little bit on my show, that I, I I do tend to like method actors, and Streep is not a method actor. Uh, what she does is she gets a costume or she gets, and we'll talk about this with a couple of the movies here, a dialect. And that's how, how she finds her way into a character. And then she just does a whole bunch of really interesting stuff and just kind of from her life experience uh, and, and and blends them into these amazing performances. And she has proven to be a chameleon over the years. I mean, there's been a couple times where, uh, angels in america is a perfect example of this where she's played a character she plays many characters in angels in america and after the scene is done you don't necessarily realize that it was her there's other times where you're very aware that it's meryl streep but you're kind of amazed with what she's doing with that character so so i'd certainly call her one of the greatest actors of all time. I agree with you on that one, Michelle. Sometimes when somebody pressures me, like what's your favorite of her performances or which years would you have supported her to win the Academy Award, that sort of thing, Uh, I'm sometimes at a little bit of a loss. Um, Certainly that year with Bridges, the Bridges of Madison County, I kind of wanted her to win Best Actress for that one. Sometimes the ones where she actually won Oscars, I wasn't quite as sure that I would have voted for her, which is kind of a, a weird thing. But she seems like just a guaranteed, uh, like if she called me up and wanted to be in my movie right now, she could have any role she wants. I think she could play me better than I can play myself.
1: Yeah, and generally she tends to get nominations. Unless she's doing, there's some movies she does that seem like they're being done just more for fun. Um, But in the... And in that case, then she's not up
0: for Oscars. Yeah, but. and once she's that luxury now, she's the most nominated actor of all time. And I mean, I think she's getting darn close to 20 nominations just for herself. And she has three Oscars, for sure. And like at some points, it gets a little bit exhausting. Like, oh, of course, she's up for this role again, or she's up for a nomination again. But I'd say mo- more times than not, she deserves to be in on, on those lists of, uh, of nominees, and I think she's, yeah, you're right. She's just having fun now. I mean, she showed up in, I talked a few episodes back about uh, the latest version of Little Women, where she plays Aunt March and she show, shows up for an extended cameo and, and she you know, steals a few scenes and then she's you know off doing that. So I think she just likes to work with some uh, talented people and she's worked with Nearly everybody that you can think of. The other thing that's kind of unique about her, and maybe why I ended up kind of thinking of her and Glenn Close and uh, and Sally Field in this regard, is and Jane Fonda. The, these are women who are rare in Hollywood, where they are working consistently throughout their life. That don't go through a dry patch, you know, because it seems like you know young actors get a ton of work and then they become kind of uh, the mother types of roles. And then 40s, 50s, sometimes early 60s, uh, these actors completely disappear for two or three decades and then start showing up later on playing like older people, characters, grandmothers and that kind of thing. But Streep has been able to, from the late 70s, when she first started to get a lot of mainstream work up until today, she has worked solid all of this time, which is quite unusual. Let's take a look at the... Four different movies that we are talking about. First one we're going to talk about is a Best Picture winner that she was in. 1985's Out of of Africa, directed by Sidney Pollack. Uh, Then we're going to go a little bit back into time, into 1979, a year I have great affection for because uh, it was the year I was born. And Woody Allen's Manhattan which is kind of an interesting one. Of the four movies, this movie features Meryl Streep the least. but uh, Then we'll go with the pro- probably the role she's going to be known for for the rest of her life, where she played a uh, Holocaust survivor in Sophie's Choice, uh, directed by Alan J. Pakula. Then we're going to end off uh, just kind of a nice one for me. I've i already reviewed one of his movies on here. I really like a filmmaker named Robert Altman. And we're going to be reviewing his last movie, A Prairie Home Companion, uh, that featured uh, Meryl Streep, among many other really talented actors.
2: It's an odd feeling, farewell. Men go off to be tested for courage. And if we are tested at all, it's for patience. For doing without, And I'd always known that. Is life really so damn simple for you? Perhaps I ask
3: less of it than you do.
2: I don't believe that at all. Next time you change your mind, you do it with your money.
3: They bought your title, Baronessa. They didn't buy me. You might have asked, Dennis. I did. She said yes.
2: Doesn't it matter to you that I'm another man's wife?
3: What matters to me is that you've tried so hard, and that you're alone now. Then well, you head back. <sighs> Through the eyes of a woman who wouldn't be owned.
2: Why is your freedom more important than mine?
3: It isn't, and I've never interfered with your freedom. From the spirit of a man, who couldn't be tamed.
2: When did you learn to
3: fly? Yesterday. Out of a land of beauty, mystery, and majesty. Out of Africa.
0: For our first movie, we're talking about Out of Africa, directed by Sidney Pollack, a very, very talented and unfortunately departed uh, filmmaker here. And uh, the basic uh, plot of this is that um, early 20th century, kind of before World War I, in Kenya, which was being um, colonized by the British, a Danish baroness uh, slash, slash plantation owner uh, played by Meryl Streep, has a passionate love affair with a free-spirited big game hunter, played by one Robert Redford. Just talked uh, last episode, in fact, with uh, with Tom Ratzlaff about Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and talked about Robert Redford a little bit uh, in that regard. lot of stuff to like here. It was the big winner. It won seven Academy Awards uh, in 1985. Won Best Picture. It won uh, Best Director for Sidney Pollack. It won for writing um it is in fact a true story so it was was based on a memoir it won for cinematography art direction and it also won for sound music score the music score i do want to talk about john barry john barry also wrote wrote the music for dances with wolves when i had craig on the show uh, our brother craig uh we talked about dances with wolves and i talked about what a fantastic music score that one is and then it had a bunch of nominations Uh, quite obviously uh, for Meryl Streep as Best Actress. Klaus Maria Brandauer, who actually plays Meryl Streep's husband. It's kind of a marriage of convenience that she has with her friend. And he just wants to go about living his own life and and she lives hers but as we see that that type of arrangement while it seems like a good idea when they're young does not last it had also been nominated for uh costume design and film editing it's a good film don't get me wrong but there is a movie that came out the same year called the color purple the color purple directed by this obscure filmmaker named steven spielberg was To me, honest to goodness, the best movie of 1985. It is an absolute classic. And I think it's just kind of interesting that it... There's a lot of interesting stuff. But uh, the, The Color Purple is written by a black woman about black people and this story that w- ends up winning the academy award is about a danish woman uh, a colonizer if you will and tells the story of africa and this romance and this love affair from a white point of view in some ways so it's kind of interesting which one won the academy award There's also a movie that year called Pritzy's Honor, which I think was also just a notch better than Out of Africa. Out of Africa is beautiful to look at. And I think it's, you know, the cinematography award is is well-deserved. And it it looks beautiful. The colors are vibrant. Uh, We watched it on a Blu-ray. And the Blu-ray really brings out those qualities. And it features a lot of Meryl Streep. And Streep is very good in this this role. Robert Redford is... Such a charming presence and maybe sounding like I'm not a fan of Robert Redford's, but I actually am quite quite a big fan of his. But I'm not sure that there was anything that was that difficult for him to do. He played a handsome American who was a lot more aware of the people in Kenya and the animals in Kenya than Meryl Streep was. And you certainly understand the attraction and kind of from the second act to the third act, how the romance develops. And it leads to some pretty memorable scenes. Um, there's a scene where uh, he washes her hair, which is quite uh, memorable. And another one is we start to see technology start to uh, come to Kenya. And one of its, the things is a plane. And Redford becomes obsessed with flying this plane. And he takes Streep on this rather magical flight. And just looking at this beautiful landscape and these animals... with John Barry's score. It's absolutely breathtaking. Yet, I'm not sure about the story itself. Um, The story itself seems quite familiar. In fact, as I mentioned, The Bridges of Madison County, I kept thinking of that, even though that was years after this movie came out. And, I mean, Streep and and, and Redford have a nice chemistry, but I think for this type of a film, it goes in quite a predictable direction. You know, they, they don't have a lot in common and then they get connected and they have this relationship relationship and there's a few crises along the way he doesn't want to get married she does but ultimately i mean i i think it will serve its purpose and meet the target audience but i still am not sure that it deserved the academy award for best picture so i want to get your thoughts on out of africa
1: um so right away the what you're talking about the beautiful scenery that stood out to me so I had said that there was great uh, cinematography and then the music I noticed the score I'm not surprised that that was did you say it was nominated or that it actually won the Oscar
0: I, I believe it won the Oscar yeah
1: okay. um so I'm not surprised that the music really fit well um and was well placed at times It's funny, I'd be interested because I'm not as familiar with the Danish accent. And so I'm pretty sure that Meryl Streep would have done it very well um, just based on hearing other accents at other points. But I found it distracting for some reason, especially at the beginning when she was the older woman. And at points I missed some of the lines because of the accent. Yeah.
0: yeah we get a lot of this is not the only movie where we have a lot of voiceover narration in this case it's from Meryl Streep's character's point of view and and yet so did you did you ever get used to her her Danish accent?
1: I found it was better when they went to like the earlier part when she was younger it was a little bit harder when she was older but um I did get you I, I got used to it mm-hmm. yeah I got used to it but just at the very beginning um when she's first speaking they have the scene where she's an older lady, and she's writing at her desk, and that's where I, it at first was distracting me. Yeah. Yeah, Streep's um, been
0: considered kind of a master of dialects. And, but when she has a, a role like this, and this won't be the only role that we're talking about where she has a dialect, at first when you hear it, you're like, oh, that's Meryl Streep putting on this accent. It's very good, but you kind of see her acting. I find after a while, I kind of forget about it and I ease into it. So that, that's why I was curious if, if you ever kind of settled into into it. Yeah, yeah.
1: And I'd have to see because other accents um, that we'll talk about later I really, I have heard the actual thing and I, it was relatable and Mm -hmm. I just haven't heard the Danish accent. Um, It's not as familiar to me, so that might be typically uh, how it sounds. I really liked the image, um, well I liked how they start off with images of Africa. And then they kind of juxtapose it with her writing and it's like winter outside in Denmark. And it kind of, I feel like based on the movie that you feel like for this woman, her time in Africa was like the highlight of her life and was like the best time of her life. And so you see these really interesting images and this adventure and um, it it just looks really neat. And then that's juxtaposed with kind of being stuck inside this house and it snowing outside. I, I don't know. Yeah. I just thought that was interesting. A little it bit almost, more
0: freedom for her there. Yeah. And, it uh, almost,
1: to me, I felt that was representing like how she maybe felt about Africa and that time in her life. Yeah, for sure. Um,
0: um, I'll just point out it just a, a couple of things. Like I I think there, there's a couple of things here where I kind of mentioned the idea of like it's almost like the white person's or the colonialist's Point of view that we get in the story not that she's a bad person i mean what she does is i i mean she she has she has the kenyans work for her on this land recognizing that it is in fact their land that she has taken but kind of late in the film she does try to protect it and some situations happen where she tries to uh grow coffee beans and try it. like she tries this coffee business but uh, things start to go kind of bad towards the third act, and she's not able to keep that up. And when it looks like she's going to lose the the land, she wants to make sure that this, these Kenyans are taken care of, that they have a place to live. I did, however, think, you know, she builds a school and trying to teach children how to read. Again, mostly sounds like good things, but this movie, and I, I mentioned it to Craig too, and we kind of decided... Dances with Wolves wasn't a white savior movie as much, uh, but it had some problematic moments. This felt a little bit like a, a touch, like a white savior type of idea that she comes in and it educates these these children Redford's good in a way he says well you know don't don't try to like go against what what they believe all right because these are smart people and they've done things their way for for so long what we don't need I think there's a line in there is these these little Englishmen turning them into little Englishmen which is exactly what uh, a colonial based education did I think the other piece in there is this idea of a woman in this world who's not allowed in kind of the gentleman's club there's a bit of a payoff with that like, Later on, uh and like running a farm and running her own land is a little bit of a feminist statement. I think that's perhaps why Streep took the role. And perhaps some of the, the those themes are what Sidney Pollock, because Sidney Pollock was um you know very particular about the the movies he would make. Uh him and, and Redford and Streep, I respect their taste a lot. So I think it was those sorts of themes that they they wanted to bring out in this in this true story. But there were just a couple of things I wonder if now looking at it through a twenty twenty lens, if they're somewhat problematic in that way. So what what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, um, I think they did a good job of showing the um, her struggle as a woman and someone who's like fighting the expectations for what women were supposed to do at that time. Um, they have that one scene where. Um, They're wanting all the women and children to go to a safer area and um, she refuses to do that and kind of proves that she is uh, capable of, uh, of, you know, joining the men and... Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Um,
1: she
0: does this big dangerous journey to get these supplies to her husband and and nobody thought that she could actually do it and this is during the war and so uh yeah that's a great example of of i
1: also agree feminist angle um i also agree though that this is more um from a colonial perspective she's a well-meaning woman and I think her ignorance, it's more ignorance than anything at that time. She probably didn't know better. And she thinks that she's helping these people by trying to make them fit into the British
0: definition it's kind of interesting her original intention though because she's a baroness right so she's like super rich and she feels like she's got a little bit is moving towards this old maid type of a status and she wants to have an adventure with her life and she has the means and she's just like let's go to some other place in the world oh I'll just head to Africa and then I will buy up some land and I will be a landowner so she's coming from a place of extreme privilege for sure, you know?
1: Um, You can kind of see the... You can see where she's well-meaning in the scene, especially with... There's this young guy who has a bad injury, and he needs to get um it looked at and she keeps on using like he's very proud and doesn't want to um I don't know if it's pride that gets in the way of him Mm -hmm. of her of having her help him or of going to the hospital or if it's other things but she somehow uses that in order to I don't know how to explain it but to how to. uh
0: she's a real man would go to the hospital and and uses that with this boy and so And promises him a job in the house if he goes to the hospital and and, and gets his leg taken care of. Yeah.
1: Promises more money if he, if he gets his Mm -hmm. leg taken care of, then he'll have a job that will pay more money than what he currently has. And so, and you can tell she's genuinely doing this out of care, uh, care for him. But she is also kind of oblivious to the differences in the culture. But you do also feel that transformation in her relationship with the the Africans in the area that she, mm-hmm. she is. And um, how there's a transformation in that relationship. And at the end, she's really, even though she has nothing to give them, she's fighting to try and help them out mm-hmm. as, as much as possible. But you do also see how colonialism, how they are, you know, using the people to work yeah. the land that belongs yeah. to them in the first place.
0: Uh, I feel like it part. wrestles with the message. It's not completely ignorant of it yet. I mean, I think there, you could have a certain angle watching this where you could see this as being problematic, that she's this rich white woman who is controlling the fate of this boy and, and trying to control things. Uh, I think, like, Robert Redford's character, Dennis, is a little bit of the antidote to that and and is part of the reason, kind of makes her aware of where she is, as well as her relationships kind of with the the main guy who runs the house, Farah, played by Malik Bowens. One of the more interesting ones... Like as far as the nominations for this movie was just getting onto Klaus Maria Brandauer, who plays Barot, uh her her husband, who uh was, was the brother of her lover back in Denmark and then he, he shows up periodically. I guess he has some pretty good scenes, but I didn't see to me it, it wasn't a performance that knocked me off my socks or anything. What did you think about him?
1: Um his scenes are good but i feel like it's equal to most of the main characters Mm -hmm. in in the story he maybe has a little bit more of a difficult role than redford like i think redford's role is um easy for based Mm -hmm. on who he it seems like it would be an easy role for him
0: to produce that much charisma like i mean we've talked i've talked a lot on this show with different guests about kind of movie stars who who can act and there there is something there so i'm not saying it was like a walk in the park or he was sleeping walk, sleepwalking through this. He worked with Sidney Pollack on a lot of movies. They were great collaborators together. Redford is a, you know quite a good director himself, but I'm not sure he was asked to do anything that was that much out of his range, where I've seen him in some other films where I think he, he was stretched a little bit more. Uh, I, I I think he did a good job. I think uh, the cast does a good job. I think it's well-directed enough. Definitely the, the art director, the cinematography uh the music score I would say are, are more than above average they're great but to me the the film is had the potential to be to me like a, a classic but you know it, it, it's it's missing a certain I don't know if edges of the right word but it's you know I and I'm probably overthinking it and overanalyzing it cuz now I'm starting to do that a little bit more with uh, with this the show. So I think I sit back, put my brain on hold and I just want to watch a big epic Hollywood romance. I think I would be satisfied with this movie, but I'm not sure it's as great as it may have been made out to be in in the mid 80s. That's a fair comment. What, what do you think? Did this was, was this your first time seeing it?
1: I may have seen parts of it before, but I don't remember seeing it before. So, um, I think this this is my first time where I re- remember seeing the whole thing Now i don't know i was particularly tired when i was watching it so i don't know how much of it is tiredness versus like i i enjoy long movies and stuff but mm-hmm. i think it almost it almost felt like this maybe when it went on too long or something not that i i i enjoy watching long movies yeah i don't know whether whether it was my tiredness that was affecting me or if it's that the movie was just a little bit longer than it should have been. Going back to the actor who played the husband, the one scene with him that did kind of stand out to me is um, the scene where he first discovers that his wife um, is having an affair.
2: Mm-hmm. and he, With Redford, yeah
1: he um the interesting thing is he acts no differently than he does in the other scenes when he's aware of her uh when they're married and there's no problems but at the same time he conveys his hurt it conveyed the hurt without even really changing how he was acting he still was just as calm for some reason it stood out to me like you could tell that he was hurt and it it also showed because all along you kind of feel like for both um Meryl Stoops character and for his character that this is a bit of a little like kind of just a transaction between friends. Mm-hmm. Like their marriage wasn't based on love. But then when he realizes that she is having this affair, then in that moment, you feel like then suddenly he's feeling that hurt.
0: It's, it's subtle. It's not screaming or yelling. In fairness, you know, they're, they're friends that have this arrangement. She starts to feel something more for him early on, and he just backs away from that. And, like, there, there is a little bit of a section in here where he's given her syphilis because he's been cheating on her and and so it would be quite hypocritical if he made a big deal of this because he has been going off doing his own thing and then there's this point later in the movie where he says "Oh, I suppose you want a divorce from me now and the only reason he's mentioning this is because he's met another woman who now at at this point has a lot of money because Meryl Streep's money has started to run out so he's a little bit of a so-so character morally for us to feel too bad for him about this, you know. But yeah, my my favorite scene, we're getting to spoiler territory, is when she has to um and this is built up melodramatic but built up for sure he's the one who comes to Meryl Streep and gives her the news that Robert Redford's character has died in a a plane crash and I thought that scene was pretty effective and it's like almost like the worst person possible to give her that news but it was almost like he was trying to make up for things or pay for his past sins by being the person to do this so it was interesting in that way while it's kind of a for for your consideration type of moment my, my favorite scene in this this movie as far as Streep's acting is uh, the funeral when she has to give uh, a little bit of a eulogy poetry and storytelling was a major thing uh, but between them or not the only movie we'll be talking about where poetry and storytelling and that kind of thing is kind of connected to the characters relationships. Streep herself. If you just watch that, for lack of a term, like the eulogy that she's given, there's a lot of stuff that she's doing. She's making some really interesting choices in there. So I, I I'm, I'm, I'm fully on board with uh, the the fact that she was nominated for this movie. I, I, I think she gives the best performance in it. And that year, um, not surprisingly, because I told you I like, I really love the color purple. Best actress. Hands down, I would have given to Whoopi Goldberg for the color purple. Uh, That's Whoopi Goldberg's best performance, and it was her big screen debut as well which is probably why she didn't end up win- winning uh, the award. But neither ni- neither one of them won Best Actress that particular year. But um, Streeps, you know, I- I've seen her nominated for things which she deserved less than this. And really, it's her character is the central character and controls the action of the movie in many ways. Everybody else feels like a little bit of a side character in her story. Yeah. So overall, I like Heart of Africa. I think Lots of people. If you like Meryl Streep, you like Robert Redford, and you like kind of an old fashioned, sweeping Hollywood romance, it is short, just a little bit short of three hours, so it is a time commitment. I think you will be satisfied with it, but it is not without its flaws.
4: Chapter One He adored New York City, he idolized it all out of proportion. Uh, no, make that he, he romanticized it all out of proportion. Better. To him, no matter what the season was, this was still a town that existed in black and white and pulsated to the great tunes of George Gershwin. Uh, now let me start this over. Chapter one. He was as tough and romantic as the city he loved. Behind his black-rimmed glasses was the coiled sexual power of a jungle cat. Oh, I love this. New York was his town. And it always would be. Manhattan, starring Woody Allen.
2: Well, okay, well tell me why you get a divorce.
4: Why? I got a divorce because my ex-wife left me for another woman. Okay? Really? Mm-hmm.
2: God, that must have been really demoralizing. I
4: don't know. I thought I took it rather well under the circumstances. I tried to run them both over with a car.
3: Diane Keaton. You're much different. You're much different. Yeah?
2: Yes. You're someone I could could imagine having children with.
4: Really? Yeah. Well, well, hit the lights. Go ahead. Turn them out again. Michael Murphy.
2: You don't want to make a commitment.
4: And I don't want to break up my marriage and then find out that, that we're no good together. The
1: point is, what the hell am I doing in this relationship anyway? My phone never stops ringing. I could go to bed with the entire faculty of MIT if I wanted to. It's just, I don't know, I'm
2: wasting myself on a married man
4: mariel hemingway see, i'm glad you could get out tonight you know because uh i really did want to see a lot
2: well, i like it when you get an uncontrollable urge
4: yeah i know it's my best feature meryl streep
2: hey don't write this book it's a humiliating experience it's an honest account
4: of our breakup jesus everybody that knows us is going to know everything
2: look at you you're so threatened
4: hey i'm not threatened because i of the two of us i was not the immoral psychotic promiscuous one I hope I didn't leave out anything. Anne Byrne.
2: Oh. Is this true? Did you make love with Jill and another woman? Did she put that
4: in there? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Did she want it to? <laughs> you know, I, I, was, I didn't want to be a bad sport. <laughs> I came here to strangle you.
2: Nothing I wrote was untrue. What do you mean? That book makes me have to be like Lee Harvey Oswald. It's an honest account of our marriage.
0: Okay, so I've actually been reviewing quite a bit of Woody Allen lately. I, I did a show on this is my every show I I do a shout out to Larry Parson show, but uh, Larry Parsons show rank and review. I did a, a show on Woody Allen where we reviewed six Woody Allen films, and recently in my last episode with uh, Tom Ratzlaff, we reviewed Bananas, uh, which was his third film as a as a writer director, and I'm I am a Woody Allen fan. Uh, I know there's a lot of controversy around him and that's just kind of a thing that's out there. The big thing I want to concentrate on though is the art, maybe not the artist. And so I was pretty hard on Bananas. I I really do feel like some of the early films he made were kind of juvenile in nature. Tom liked it a little bit more than I did, uh, even though we ended up in kind of a similar place with it when it came to the end with giving the the points. Now we uh, are going to look at 1979's Manhattan. And I think I'm prepared to go on the record that Manhattan is my favorite Woody Allen film. There are many, many, many that I like, but there's something about Manhattan that I love going back to. And I think it's like in some ways you don't think of sentimentality and Woody Allen in the same breath. And some of think of cynicism and that kind of thing. But in many ways, Manhattan is a love story to New York City. And those who know me know that I love New York City. I've lived in New York City. I've visited there many times. Very much so my heart is in New York City. And there's a sequence at the very beginning with this clever voiceover narration because it's imperfect and it's cut off and it's rambling it's not like a typical hollywood type of voiceover narration from alan and then this beautiful george gershwin music scores one shot after another shot after another shot of manhattan all parts of manhattan and then it ends with a shot at night of of the city in this glorious black and white photography and I know this sounds really ridiculous that I like this, but then there's actually fireworks that happen at the very end of the opening sequence for this film. And as cheesy as that is, I totally feel everything that Alan is trying to convey in that particular moment. That opening, as well as just the rest of the film, like this is a Woody Allen film. This is not one of his European things or where he's trying to experiment with some different genre. This is a New York-based story with New York-based characters characters uh very much when he became at the top of the, his game he had annie hall then he had interiors and then he had manhattan three years in a row and uh he was very much flying high as a as a filmmaker, a very serious uh, New York-based writer and director at the time. Um, he plays a uh, divorced television writer who um, as it happens, he's and this is where some people come back to this movie and have some some issues. He's dating a 17-year-old girl uh, played by Muriel Hemingway and then he ends up falling in love with his best friend's mistress, and his best friend's mit- mistress is played by his, his great collaborator for many years, Diane Keaton. Uh, we also have uh, Michael Murphy who plays his his uh, his best friend, and there's some really interesting scenes where they're playing a little bit of charades because they've kept this relationship away from, from his friend's wife, and so there's a little bit of play acting when Alan ends up dating uh, Diane Keaton, and then they get to Together for a double date and uh, the two have to pretend like they don't know each other even though they had previously seen each other. So a criticism that Larry brought up of Woody Allen movies is that this is often very privileged people who just are complaining about their lot in life and their problems just to complain. And sometimes that's a little bit difficult to be able to relate to if you're in an ordinary type of situation. I think there's a section in this film which does a great great job of commenting on Woody Allen in general and his films and it's a section where he's basically talking out a short story idea which is essentially the plot to Manhattan where it's a bunch of people in in Manhattan in New York City who create these neurotic problems for themselves so that they can be immersed in that drama and not have to worry about the bigger issues of the world and that's kind of what we see with the characters here uh, it did get too Two Oscar nominations I, I would have liked to have seen it up for best picture it was not in 79 it was nominated for Woody Allen's uh, screenplay he collaborated with Marshall Brickman, um, and Mar- they also wrote Annie Hall together. Marshall Brickman went on to uh, do some musical theatre. He did the the book for the musical Jersey Boys. Very talented writer as well. And then the other nomination, very much deserved, in my opinion, was Best Supporting Actress nomination for Mariel Hemingway, uh, who plays uh, plays this young woman who named Tracy, who has totally fallen in love with the Allen character. And, and Alan, just being who he is... Keeps her at arm's length and and won't, won't won't let her in. And it isn't until he realizes that actually she's probably the only person in his life who cares about him. That it's a situation where it's almost like it's too late, right? So it's, it's really interesting to see all these different dynamics. And the Keaton-Allen dynamic and their chemistry together is really nice. And there's some beautiful, beautiful scenes. Two of my favorites is just this wonderful silhouette of the Brooklyn Bridge. And Allen and Diane Keaton are, are sitting on a bench and this is just you know when when they've just kind of met they've met once before and didn't really like each other that much because they have completely opposite tastes in art but then they meet and they kind of have a little bit more of a, a kinder connection this is just this beautiful moment there and another one is this they go for this walk which turns into like this giant thunderstorm and they go into a planetarium of all places and they have this beautiful kind of romantic moment together so there's just a whole bunch of stuff for me to like in Manhattan but I'm happy to hear another opinion, and I do recognize no movie is perfect. So, Michelle, what did you think of Manhattan?
1: Oh, I really enjoyed Manhattan. It's one of my favorite Woody Allen um, films, but not my favorite. My favorite is *Multiple Crooks*, just because I find <laughs> it so funny. But Yeah, we'll Um, review
0: that one someday on the show.
1: But um, I, right away, the young actress. Muriel Hemingway. Muriel Hemingway. Right away, she stood out to me. I felt like Woody Allen's performance actually became a little bit more interesting as soon as Diane Keaton's character came in. I feel like the two of them together, feeding off of each other, kind of made made those performances very interesting. Mm -hmm. But at first, I kept on wondering, well, why? Why did he do this in black and white and then I was like it, like thinking about what you're talking about the beginning scene being very like kind of romantic idealistic and maybe you're thinking about the kind of that 1950s idealism that and maybe that's why it was done in black mm-hmm. and white the, there's, then, a, the,
0: there's a line in that opening sequence and I have the advantage of seeing this movie several times was this your first time seeing it uh,
1: no second time
0: second time seeing it in his opening this uh, voiceover narration where he start it's like he's chapter one he's starting this novel and he keeps second guessing himself and he keeps restarting it over and over again at one point he 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 talks about people in manhattan thinking of life in black and white oh
1: okay and so
0: that's and so we let the the photography kind of reflect that.
1: Yeah, because I kept on wondering also because it it's not like he was bringing in nineteen fifty type of themes Mm-mm. or like it that it was bringing in very contemporary issues, including the fact that his ex-wife has left him for for a woman. Yeah, and,
0: and that's where Meryl Streep. In case you're wondering why this movie's being included in a Meryl Streep show, Meryl Streep plays his second wife. He, he's been married twice, and I think you were gonna kind of get into it that she is has decided to write kind of a tell-all book about Marriage and being married to him, which would be very publicly embarrassing, and he's uh, obsessed with it. And, and he he feels a little bit like his his masculinity has been been hurt because she she went from being bisexual to homosexual, and now she's she's found a, a female partner. And for the most part, they have uh, they have access to, to the son that they had, uh, that Streep and Alan had together.
1: Well, the interesting thing about Meryl Streep's performance, like you said, this is this was one of the movies that. We was probably the most mine she was the more minor character in this movie but actually this was one of the performances it wasn't the one that stood out the most because there were a lot of great movies but it did stand out among some of the ones where she had greater just more of a main character
0: it's less flashy you know i i think in in the other movies that we're talking about uh, she has she's kind of the central character and she has a danish accent later we'll talk about sophie's where she's playing a Polish woman and she's given all of these things to do Uh, in Prairie Home Companion she sings a lot of her performance is singing and performing and she's got kind of like a like a different take in there even though she's not putting a a dialect onto her her character as much in that movie but this one she's this woman who kind of puts up with her ex-husband in some ways and is trying to kind of exercise her her rights as an independent woman and why why is it that men can't can write about their uh, marriages and their experiences and put that into art but she can't and so she has some very effective scenes from this was the one and only time they worked together from what I understand I don't think Streep liked working with Alan that much this was the same year that Kramer versus Kramer came out Streep won her first Oscar for that movie and she was actually filming Kramer versus Kramer in Manhattan at the same time and she said it was so much more freeing to go work on Kramer versus Kramer with Robert Benton because he allowed her to kind of improvise the script and Woody would like say cut and then go up to her and say "Uh, I don't know if you noticed but that line has a comma and you're supposed to pause when there's a comma which is so funny because I've heard like other actors talk about working with him and they would never in fact they said he's aloof that he doesn't tell them anything at all he kind of stands back and lets them do their own thing so it's interesting that he was that prescriptive with her and Alan's scripts are so good it often feels like real people talking and it feels kind of improvised in some ways. So it's funny to me that he was that harsh on Streep about sticking to exactly to the words that he wrote with the exact pauses that he he wanted to have in because I just haven't noticed that. But I, I'm not sure they... But that maybe worked well for their relationship yeah. in there because, you know, there's this passive aggressiveness from both of them in uh, in those scenes
1: yeah it felt very um, believable to me that they were exes and even when they run into each other on the street like the first time you see her character the expression on her face and the way she talked <laughs> it just seemed very believable to me that they would be exes
0: I want to talk for a moment about Woody Allen's acting uh, some people <laughs> will often say Woody Allen shouldn't be acting in his own movies a lot of the time that he plays the same character and it gets annoying outside of Annie Hall. They don't mind him in Annie Hall. Uh, There's another movie that uh, someday I'll talk about on this podcast I talked about with Larry Deconstructing Harry, where I, I think there are some really good moments... For, for Alan as an actor. I think much like any Hall, and maybe even more so in, in the late stages of Manhattan, like there's some true feelings. It's not kind of like the comedian doing a bit that comes out. Two moments re- really laid in, so again, spoilers, uh, folks. If uh, you haven't seen Manhattan, I'd encourage you to watch it before you hear some of what I'm going to talk about. There's this moment where when he's going over this idea for a short story, he starts talking about the reasons to live. And he starts kind of listing these uh, things off which were a lot to do with uh, artists and musicians and uh, filmmakers and some actors and that kind of thing uh, and then he says Tracy's face in reference to the Muriel Hemingway character who he's in quite a. will talk about that scene later on hopefully but in a scene where he's broke it off with her and he feels like he's blown it and there's this recognition that like, like she loved him and his happiness could be with her instead of this miserable cycle he keeps living Living through, And there's this just expression on Woody Allen's face, which is not something I, I've seen for a lot from him. And then the sequence towards the end leading into the last scene with Muriel Hemingway. I think Allen does quite a good job of acting in, in those scenes. So uh, you, you're n- never not aware that you're watching Woody Allen, but I, I think he should be given a little bit of credit for his acting in this movie, as well as his, his writing and directing.
1: I do understand the perspective of people who fe- feel like it's kind of the same thing. But I do agree that there's certain movies in Manhattan and Annie Hall where you feel his performance is a little bit on a bit of a deeper level, and whether it's a reflection though of his his own emotions in life, I don't know. But but uh,
0: who I knows? Mean, but yeah. they got, he got a good take from himself in some of those those scenes. I think the best performance in this movie though is Muriel Hemingway. I don't I don't know if you agree with me on that, but I totally love that character and, and that performance from. Beginning game to end at first you you, you should be kind of like okay why, why is this 17 year old in this bar this one couple and, and and alan and whatever but then you realize that like she's more mature has like um probably more intelligence than some of these other characters and yet it's you know but but it, it's not just sort of a, a precocious you know smarter than average teenage performance the breakup scene to me is the one is the, the big scene in her performance where alan wisely as a director keeps the camera on her and like she's so happy and she's just bought him this gift of this harmonica and then he just lays it on her that it's it's, it's through and i'm in love with somebody else he's in love with the diane keaton character and and she's just destroyed and, and you just see it so believably in her face like that was just it's so much in her reaction i mean she talks through it too and she's trying to reason with him and finally says just 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 leave me alone it's a beautiful performance very well written and i don't think where part of my problem with woody allen and back with the bananas movie was i just thought he was just too immature and had no real understanding of women at that particular point when he was making those movies i i think he he had a sort of annie hall onwards he had a little bit of a deep deeper level of of humans in general and how that kind of a scene would play out he starts I shouldn't feel guilty about this he becomes a bit about himself for sure there's a narcissism to the character but she sells every single scene that she's in so what uh, you said that you like you were aware of her from kind of the beginning
1: yeah I agree that her she had the strongest performance in that and the one thing is hers wasn't flashy it was just very it was very natural very believable like the breakup scene like the entire time very believable Mm -hmm. I also another performance I enjoyed but it's probably it's more of a flashier performance is I also enjoyed Diane Keaton's Mm -hmm. but that is definitely more flashy and I agree that Muriel Hemingway's was stronger than i mean she really is
0: the nicest um, the nicest character in the piece yeah. like when you think about it most kind-hearted character that uh you know sometimes so many allen woody allen characters are very cynical and uh diane keaton's character has a special level of neuroses and she kind of destroys a bunch of relationships and goes on a whim but she has some really really funny lines in yeah. here she just keeps randomly mentioning like well oh we don't talk about orgasms i i'm from philadelphia or you know, she, she keeps mentioning this thing about well you know having affairs and stuff like i'm from philadelphia that would never you know she keeps mentioning this thing about like how some philadelphia. It's, it's, you philadelphia know,
4: like and every time like mayberry
0: is. or something like that it's so I, she serves the the role really well and i you know i like her not as much as i liked her nanny hall or so I, I think it's up there for one of my favorite performances of hers in a Woody Allen movie
1: yeah I still think I think Muriel's was the strongest performance and was the best but for me the show got more interesting as soon as Diane Keaton was part of it so I think the show as a whole like it, it was all it was all right but when she entered it it made it more
0: yeah and I'm not saying it's a bad performance but I think you really really like Diane Keaton and the energy that she brings to uh the film right yeah, yeah. that's what I, and, and I, I I do honestly think like her and Alan had such great chemistry together and if there was another version of this story where they were to end up together but they're both such you know in many ways damaged people that they cannot function together like you think that alan's very problematic with everything that he does but then you see how she operates and she's on just a different different level so in many ways alan was to Diane Keaton's character, what Muriel Hemingway was to Woody Allen's character, you know, where, you know, just totally like thinking that this was the right person. And then that person just goes and randomly abandons, abandons them. So I I really like the last scene of the movie, as I mentioned, another, like there's this shot of Woody Allen, which you don't normally see. And then you get a couple shots of the exteriors of Manhattan and then the movie ends. It's one of the best endings because I also said it's one of the best beginnings to a Woody Allen movie Therefore, to me, it's the best Woody Allen
3: film. There are secrets beyond imagination. There are memories time cannot erase. It was a season of delight in a place called Brooklyn, the season of Sophie, of Sophie and Nathan, and a young man called Stingo.
2: I love that piece. (laughs)
4: <laughs> Look at this God's
2: gift. Give me a kiss. One kiss. <laughs> Mommy, you know that song,
3: right? <laughs> All summer long they were together, drawing ever closer to the mystery of Sophie ever closer to her unthinkable secret.
4: Don't Sophie.
2: Go! please don't go, don't go away from
4: me, please. When I told you that the only thing I absolutely demand of you, the only single thing is fidelity? Sophie, why'd you lie
2: to me? Oh, the truth, ah, the truth, I don't even know what is the truth. After all these lies I have told. Tell me why. There are so many things you don't understand. So many things that I can't. tell Explanation, please. explain. So beautiful. How'd
3: you get to be so beautiful, Sophie? How can anyone imagine that he knows her beyond the innocent? The romantic, the sensual, and the unthinkable, there are secrets we have yet to imagine. One of them, Is Sophie's choice
0: as depressing as some aspects of Out of Africa are, and as neurotic and sad as the characters in Manhattan are? I think Sophie's choice is probably our capital T tragedy for this particular episode. This is the role I think Meryl Streep will be forever known for. She uh, plays Sophie, who is a survivor of a Nazi concentration camp. She is not Jewish. She was Polish, and she. Kind of finds a reason to live because of her relationship with this man named Nathan, played by Kevin Klein. He's a very uh, dynamic, sparkling character, but fairly unsteady person. He, in fact, is Jewish, and he's somewhat obsessed with the Holocaust. All of this is being told from the point of view of a writer named Stingo, played by Peter McNichol. Fans of the show Ally McBeal, for example, may know who he is. Uh, He was also on a hospital show years ago I like called uh, Chicago Hope. He's been in a lot of stuff, for sure. His character narrates it and he's this kid from the south, 22 years old, who decides to move to the big city and ends up in Brooklyn in this house with Sophie and Nathan and forms this friendship with them and start to peel the onion of these folks who are very charismatic, and uh, sometimes they're very happy, sometimes they're fighting in quite a loud and angry way, and we kind of see how that happens. Uh, Meryl Streep, this was her second Academy Award win. She, as far as I know, she pretty much won every single prize for this. Still to this day, it's considered one of the greatest film performances of all time. It was the only Academy Award that Sophie's Choice won. Another fun fact, uh, at least for a nerd like me, is that Sophie's Choice was not nominated for Best Picture. It did have a nomination for Screenplay Writing. It was by the late Alan J. Pakula, who also directed it. Alan J. Pakula, very talented filmmaker, and kind of from my point of view, I, I liked a lot of his stuff. He was mostly known, when I first discovered him in the 90s, as making some genre pictures. He tragically died in this, uh, this this accident uh, on the Long Island Expressway where this trucker didn't have something secured and it actually flew out of his truck and straight into the windshield of, of Mr. Pakula and that's uh, one of those tragic uh, kind of deaths of a, of a, of a filmmaker here. It he was also nominated for cinematography, costume design and the music score from Marvin Hamlish, who's quite a, a well-known composer and and so it, it had a few nominations here but Streep's win for Best Actress was kind of the big one. So before I get into my opinions about Sophie's Choice, uh, what What are your thoughts?
1: I, this was the one where I thought was the strongest performance of the ones I saw, even though Meryl Streep is, often gives strong performances, but this is, for me, I think what really stood out is having a friend who's, a close friend who's Polish, it seemed very believable to me, like her accent was very believable. And in this movie, she is now in America and she's, she's in the US and she is, is currently working on her English and even the way some of the words she brought out or some of the different ways she said things seemed very believable to me and so if I didn't know who she was and I was met with that character I would believe that this was truly a Polish immigrant who had uh, had come to the United States.
0: So, so you saw her really transform, you know. In this, like, were you was there ever a point where you were thinking, "I'm not watching Meryl Streep"?
1: Yeah, I think so. Like, I always am kind of aware of Mer- that it's Meryl Streep just because of how she looks. But yet, it did. Yeah, I, I think it did feel kind of like a transformation. That even though I knew it was Meryl Streep and it looked like Meryl Streep, it was, um, yeah, it. I, I believed she was who the character was.
0: And you had an easier time with the accent
1: yeah so that made me that's the one where because at first for out of africa the accent was very distracting for me but then when i heard her do this accent i was like well because i'm very familiar with the polish accent this seemed very believable to me mm-hmm. so I was like po- it's possible that the other accent is also very believable yeah. it's just i'm not as not as uh, familiar with
0: it yeah I, I i think she does a good job of both dialects very much so and so uh but yeah i I I agree with you. What did you think of Kevin Klein? So this was this was actually kind of his first film where he started to get noticed. An interesting connection is both Meryl Streep and Kevin Klein went through the Juilliard School and had kind of similar approaches to acting. I think Streep really tried to help Klein on on this this set. Klein was was sticking quite strict strict to the script because that's what you do in theater. You learn the lines as they were written. And Streep said you can relax with that and just have the conversation you know the basic idea of of the scene we we were led to believe that that this guy is a a biologist who works for a pharmaceutical company uh as we start to find out because he his behavior is very strange i clocked it as actually being uh, manic depressive because he would get really really excited and about things and start giving gifts and uh planning all these great things for the future for both the writer and for Streep. Then he would get very jealous and very angry and very upset. Uh, and then later on, again, spoilers, folks, I'm sorry, but we find out that he has some hallucinations and that, that he's he's actually schizophrenic. And it gets to quite a dangerous level at, at, at some places. So maybe there's enough in that character to, to justify how theatrical Klein is. But, I, and this is only my second pass of this movie, if you can believe it, you know, it's famous a movie as this is i've only watched it twice but both times i i do get a little bit distracted by how big kevin klein plays things and i wasn't sure it was always that justified and then peter mcnichol is just kind of there and in between i think he does a quite a good job as a central character He, he is however the one that does the voiceover narration and this voiceover narration drove me nuts like when it would when it would come in, it would kind of take me out of the moment of what was happening in the film. And so, you know, that part bothered me a little bit, but I thought McNichol was fine. He he played it for the camera a little bit, but I thought Klein was a little bit big.
1: I felt the same way about the narration. It also for whatever reason, like the voice just seemed a bit different. Like I, I don't know, it just kinda of his
0: voice, but he tried to make it sound older, yeah, I guess.
1: Yeah, I think in trying to make it sound older, it almost would have been better if it was just the same voice that he had wrote um it's
0: a bit of a southern caricature yeah. well i learned a lot from those people back at that time because yeah. that was when i first discovered you know yeah. and and it, it, yeah it's it
1: when is, he's acting he work like when he's acting in the movie it doesn't seem to be annoying in mm-hmm, that way mm-hmm. the interesting thing about his character i think they needed a character like his because it causes you to question like because he just was a very really normal stable guy and it makes makes you question like why why is this person who is so normal hanging out with this person who seems, you know, more extreme. Now, my first thought about the Kevin Klein character, like when I fir- at first when I first saw him, I just thought he was like um like physically abusive or mm-hmm. someone who because it's that same sort of cycle where one minute he's like, you know, yelling at his wife and like really upset about stuff and then And they, they aren't married, yes um, Oh yeah. Yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah there's sorry, a relationship not, but not, yeah but yeah, yeah. They're just yeah his partner yeah partner or whatever yeah. there one mm-hmm. one minute he's yeah yelling at his partner and like being very like emotionally abusive towards her and um and you know pulling on her and um and then the next minute he is being very charming and you can really see what draws people to him in those moments where he's being very charming he's you know having lots of fun and handing and giving gifts and stuff and so I thought maybe it's just more of a like uh, an abusive relationship but then there are some things that don't make sense at Mm -hmm. the same time because you know when he starts like accusing others of certain things and you don't understand why he's upset at people necessarily and and so then you start to realize well there's something kind of funny about this and um yeah or one minute earlier in the day he'll be celebrating something and he can't wait until the evening and then in the evening he's really upset and um, awful when people are expecting an and what's cue. which
0: and accusing you know um, Streep and McNichol of having uh, an affair and then you know which which isn't happening it's yeah
1: and yeah. it's funny because earlier in the afternoon he was just fine they're all hanging out yeah. together we're all gonna celebrate tonight minute. yeah yeah and he loves that they're all hanging out together and then the next minute he is uh, accusing them of having mm-hmm. an affair and
0: um so did you like his performance or i not? actually
1: I actually kind of liked his character yeah. in a way.
0: It's a complex role. Yeah, Very good see. actor, Kevin Kline. I like Kevin Kline a lot.
1: You can see where people could be drawn into in the moments where he's like having fun and kind of like a good place. Mm-hmm. Seems happier and having lots of fun. You could see where people are more drawn to him mm-hmm. in that moment and why people would want to be kind of part of his world. And
0: why they kind of want to believe some we'll, of his promises yeah. and want some of the stuff which... Saying. Turns out to not be true. Um,
1: And I think it also... He did a good job of illustrating how this man is quite bright and, Mm -hmm. you know, knows a lot. And so I think that's why people don't question his degree or question his accomplishments is because he's very believable that he's well-educated, he's well-read. And Mm -hmm. so that makes it more believable.
0: Yeah. Uh.
1: And even the fact like for... You can see where Meryl Streep's character would believe um, him because... How they first meet is she has this major, I guess it's iron deficient, it, like she has anemia or something like that. Yeah, she,
0: she, she's basically escaped Europe after, after the war and, and being at Auschwitz. And then she's in a library trying to uh, find um, some poetry by Emily Dickinson, but she's... Saying the wrong name, the librarian is not very nice to her, and she has health problems. And he comes to the rescue and happens to have a brother who's a doctor to help.
1: Well, she ends up passing out in yeah. front of the librarian too. And but the um, it's not even clear to me whether he took her to his brother. Or that did he? Yeah, and oh, well,
0: okay. and yes. she. He found out everything he um, needed to get her um, her iron level. It was an yeah. iron deficiency and I get her, so, her iron levels up and he makes her this dinner and so all the stuff. He does, really takes care of her.
1: Yeah, he does a good job of mm-hmm. taking care of her. And so you can see where right away she would be drawn to him mm-hmm. and would believe she wouldn't, the first thing she wouldn't be thinking is this um, man is having a mental breakdown mm-hmm. because he did like take care of her and help her to come kind of, like revive her health.
0: So. And then we get scenes where he's incredibly cruel to her and said, said, okay, so why is it that you survived and all of these Jews who went to Auschwitz died? And she's already feeling guilty enough. Survivor's guilt big time is throughout this character beginning to end. We haven't talked a whole lot about the, the Holocaust angle in this. And so to me, maybe unpopular opinion, I could have perhaps done without the story of the writer, the story of Kevin Klein's character, Uh, Any sort of like different romance angles, any of that. And just concentrated on the flashbacks. Because I thought Streep's performance was best in the flashback sequences. And the one moment where I did not recognize her at all is where she is emaciated. And she's walking around Auschwitz. And she's like stick thin and her head is shaved. And she's just finding some some way for her to be able to get in touch with her son and get her son to survive the Holocaust. And then of course there's the famous scene. I don't think it's spoiling anything because it's the one that gets shown a lot. And the movie's called Sophie's Choice where she's in line to enter Auschwitz. She says the wrong thing to the wrong Nazi about how the fact that she's not Jewish, she's actually Catholic, she believes in God and all of this. And then she's given a biblical type of choice of which one of her kids she has to sacrifice. Her younger daughter or her son. And we see that play out and it leads to one of the most famous moments in Meryl Streep's film career where she lets out this silent scream as she's basically made this choice which is condemned one of her children to death and it's a a very very difficult scene to watch all of that stuff and it's beautifully photographed because they kind of took the color out it was like washed out color for those flashback sequences beautifully acted and that Whole part as depressing and horrible as it is. That's where I think the movie works really well. All of the, like, the antics of the characters in Brooklyn, as much as I I just told you how much I love Manhattan and I like movies set in New York and there's a scene on the Brooklyn Bridge which is my favorite place in New York City to go to and I hated the scene because Kevin Kline does this melodramatic toast with a Marvin Hamlisch score playing loudly in the background and this panning shot out of the Brooklyn Bridge and these three characters and it felt so for your consideration very melodramatic so like it's not that it's all bad there's some good moments and some decent acting in there but it feels like a different different movie than the flashback stuff like and and when like they do this r- really great device when when Meryl Streep's telling what happened at Auschwitz to Peter McNichols character this great shot of her looking out a window and she's kind of looking at us in the camera and telling this story it's just Streep's face telling the story that's all good so there's there's some r- some gold in there but then there's just a lot of extra stuff that I'm being overly that. critical And maybe it's because this is such a praised, this film is so, so praised. But I do want to say that Streep is amazing. She has to speak Polish. She has to speak German. She has to be convincing that she doesn't know how to speak English for a section of the film. And then she has all of, has to negotiate a whole series of just this, this trauma that she has, this survivor's guilt, in more ways than one, that you know colors her her life in like the modern section of of the story. So it, it is an amazing performance, and I do have to to hand it to her on that on that front.
1: I do agree that it does feel like the scenes with the three of them versus and it, well the present days scenes versus the flashbacks do feel like two different movies mm-hmm. and yeah probably the flashbacks are probably like some of the stronger the stronger parts of the movie um and not
0: melodramatic and and not, not not kind of
1: normally uh, like in a movie you have one main character where you're trying to focus on it's not normally like three people where you're trying to because at points it probably it does feel like some of the other characters lives are maybe taking uh they're trying to focus on them more than in when they should be focusing focusing more on uh, Streep's character. I wonder though, is because it seems like she needs to, she gradually like reveals things about the Holocaust. And I think this would be normal for war veterans or Holocaust survivors is that they have to have a certain relationship with someone before they'll like reveal those Mm -hmm. stories. And maybe that's why they're slowly slowly revealing other elements of the other characters is they're trying to show that, well, she she's getting to know these people better um, and the better she gets to know them, the more she's willing to like reveal, reveal more of more herself. she trusts, yeah. At the same time, I do agree that probably they could have done it in a way where it was more focused.
0: I'm happy to take along with the other characters, but I, I just wasn't as interested in, in that part. I mean, you probably need the writer character because he's our eyes for the story. Because as he gets information, we get information as a central character. And that's the way that this stories get out i didn't enjoy the writing or the directing or even in some points the acting of those scenes as much as i and enjoys a bad word for the flashbacks but i i'm I'm moved and powerfully moved by all the flashback sequences even the, the section you were talking about where she goes to the english class and then she first meets kevin klein at the library and and she's sick and all that like that's that's really good stuff from Streep in those in those scenes but yeah kind of like the 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 present time in the context of this piece just didn't have as much impact even even the uh even the climax of the film which I I guess I won't say what it is and some people might not have seen this movie but that it made sense but it didn't move me emotionally as much as the other sections
1: yeah and some of it other than you know the way that he cares Kevin Kline's character has cared for Meryl Streep's character but there is a part of you where you think like if this when you see what she has actually gone through would she continue to stay around this Kevin Klein character who at points can be quite cruel like would she continue to put up with that when she's been through and so she much she feels already?
0: like she deserves this and she actually loves him I mean yeah she. so maybe
1: that's part of it maybe through the survivor's guilt she mm-hmm. feels like she yeah does, when he's not being mm-hmm. kind she feels like she
0: I mean it. she has another decision to make where she could go along with Peter McNichol and and he has fallen in love with her and maybe they would be happy together um, my you know somewhat Freudian take on it is that she has no children left and so she wants to mother him a bit and part of his backstory is that he in the novel he's writing is about the year he lost his mother when he was 12 years old so he's looking for a mother figure and sees it in street. And he misinterprets that as romantic love And
2: so
1: yeah I felt the um, same way that what he liked about her was like that's all She's mother figure, and then, mm-hmm. and for her, she, um, you know, she doesn't have her son anymore, and so maybe like she, yeah, yeah. and he, he represents kind of that son, so yeah.
0: So I, I think parts of this are a very powerful movie, but I do not love this movie as much as some people do. Like it's put in the category of say Schindler's List or Twelve Years a Slave or like one of those super uh, serious, powerful movies. I'm not sure it's as good as that but Meryl Streep is as good as that and there are moments which are as good as that but then there's a whole lot of other stuff and I don't know did you, I think you maybe like it more than I do yeah
1: it was yeah it was one of the ones uh that I like the most
0: I, I would recommend. I would recommend it for a time that you're prepared for a heavy heavy movie though this is not this is not going to uh, make you feel that good and so sometimes maybe in the time of COVID-19 this might not be your the number one movie to go to you know you might want to watch animated animal movie or something instead
3: hello everybody on a Saturday night welcome to a live broadcast of a prairie home companion a prairie home companion it was a live radio variety show the kind that died 50 years ago but somebody forgot to tell them until this night
2: what are you writing poem what's it about suicide Oh.
3: Big corporation down in Texas had bought up the radio station. Well, this
2: isn't really gonna be your last
3: show, is it? Every show's your last show. That's my philosophy.
2: Thank you, Plato.
3: It was curtains, and everybody knew it. A lot of good people up there. These folks put their lives into this. Well, now they can put their lives into something else.
2: You're gonna say well, something to about sing. it. Right. How about just a moment of silence?
3: Silence on the radio. I don't know how that
2: works. Way down upon that old Mississippi River. Hey, Lola.
3: Hi. Heard you're gonna sing a song for us.
2: I only know my own songs.
3: I'll sing one of them then.
2: They're mostly about death. Oh. She shot the bastard in the heart and ruined his
3: nicer. I used to listen to this show every week. Well, it was great in its
4: time, but the time's up. Life moves on.
3: Bad jokes, lord, I
4: love you. How about that obscene song you sang last week? I'll give you my moonshine if you show me your jug. Bad jokes, lord.
3: Just a
2: happy ending.
3: Happy ending. We come from people who brought us up to believe that life is a struggle and if you should ever feel really happy, be patient. This will pass. Might think about cutting down on the uh, desserts and uh, also possibly sex with men.
0: As I mentioned in the previous episode, I I talked about Robert Altman's MASH. I really, really love Robert Altman. For what turned out to be his last movie, he was able to have Woody Harrelson, Tommy Lee Jones, Kevin Klein, who uh, we just talked about with Sophie's Choice, Lindsay Lohan, not necessarily known as a great actor, but I do want to mention her in in the context of this film, Uh, Virginia Madsen, who's kind of an underrated actor, I think, John C. Riley, Maya Rudolph, uh, Meryl Streep. the show is about and his longtime collaborator lily tomlin Uh, lily tomlin's first movie role was in robert altman's nashville and A Prairie Home Companion kind of feels like a Nashville type of movie. Prairie Home Companion is a real uh, radio program hosted by a guy named Garrison Keillor who appears as himself in the movie and so this is a a look at what goes on backstage during the very last broadcast of America's most celebrated radio show where there's a bunch of singing cowboys, Dusty and Lefty a country music siren and a host of others who uh, sing and hold court. While that's happened we start to see kind of the corporate greed that has led to this uh, show no longer happening. And that's led by... uh Tommy Lee Jones who shows up as this this man who uh, is is then wanting to change this th- theater where this lo- live radio broadcast happens into something that is viewed as as more profitable and of course all the performers they're they're not necessarily sure what to do with themselves anymore because they've they've been with the show forever so the backstage people we get to see as well as um, these performers so Woody Harrelson and John C O'Reilly I think have a lot of fun as these cowboy brothers who have this this act where they kind of insult each other and and that kind of thing so the the they're very good it's not I don't think it's stretch for either of them Tommy Lee Jones is good he's not in much of the film but towards the end he shows up Garrison Keillor is okay at playing Garrison Keillor I'm not sure he's that amazing an actor Kevin Kline's an interesting character in this uh, I liked him I think a bit more in this than in a, uh, Sophie's Choice he is given license to play things a bit big he's kind of in charge of security uh, backstage at the show but but he kind of overvalues his his worth and he he operates like a uh like a private eye from a film noir. And in fact, he narrates some of the movie in that style. And Altman had played around with that genre a little bit over the years. So he's very much a Robert Altman type of character. Controversially, I actually think Lindsay Lohan gives the best performance in the movie. She plays Meryl Streep's daughter, who is quite a talented singer, but kind of hides that uh, gift and is not that, that comfortable with it. But as this last show goes on, she comes up on stage and she's similar to uh, this one character in uh, Robert Altman's Nashville who kind of lingers around all these concerts and, and shows up at this key moment and just, just knocks it out of the park as a singer. Virginia Madsen plays this mysterious woman who shows up and she goes and she she's talking to, to different people. The Kevin Kline character is kind of attracted to her. And spoilers in this regard, that character basically represents death. She comes, She's coming around because one of the characters ends up dying and so she she's there with him at the last moment and then kind of hangs around because she really likes the show and and interacts with different people and then she has a key scene towards the end with Tommy Lee Jones which is quite uh memorable and is quite good in, in the last scene of the film. Maya Rudolph, this was kind of in her one of her first films. She was still connected to Saturday Night Live and she plays a stage manager who's very pregnant. She has some pretty good scenes. Again, not nothing that it was uh, really out of her uh, range. The other two standouts for me, a lot of fun to see Meryl Streep and Lily Tomlin together as this. The, singing duel who've been singing together for a million years and they tell these stories from the past and they work off each other really well and the improvisational quality to them. Plus, both women can sing and they, they sing quite well and they, they carry many of the numbers Uh, In here. So perhaps I love Altman more than I should. And perhaps this is a sentimental one for me, but it's mostly positive for me on A Prairie Home Companion, even though I think some sections are a little bit more like little sketches that add up to something that wouldn't necessarily realistically be the last recording of this show because there's way too much stuff happening in this uh to for this to be one episode of a prairie home companion but all, all the stuff that he tries to uh that Altman mixes together Keeler Gerson Keeler was in on the writing of the screenplay it mostly works really well this is not all Anywhere close to Altman's best, but it's certainly not a bad movie. So from your recollections of watching A your Home Companion, Michelle, what did you think of it?
1: Um, I agree that Lindsay Lohan, the late Tomlin, and Meryl Streep are probably um, the best the standout performances in this. Although also the older man who dies, I I enjoyed him as well. The
0: actor's name is LQ Jones, and he plays Chuck Akers.
1: Yeah, yeah. So him and I think there's someone who plays his wife, right? And at,
0: get... I'm not sure it's his wife, but it's it's two people, yeah. two older people who have worked on the show for a long time. And at points during the show, they they, they get together in this dressing room, and then he ends up having a heart attack and and dying. Oh, yeah. Um, and is this moment where he sees. Uh, virginia madsen and that's why she's shown up to basically take his soul to heaven i believe is is the idea here but she kind of sticks around and she she could have some opportunities to change the future for a prairie home companion
1: although i like enjoyed the person to play the angel of death or whatever i that part kind of like distracted me from <laughs> <Did it? laughs> the rest of what was going on yeah. i mean it It works because there is this element where you're like, you feel, you're pretty sure she represents death and stuff. But it does add an element where you're like, who is this person who? Because you've gotten to know all the other characters and in the same way, the rest of the singers don't know who this lady is. And yet she's walking around just very comfortably as though she belongs there. It does, it does make you question oh who is this lady but
0: and because she's kind of uh a, well she not kind of she is a very attractive woman she's able to get past kevin klein very easily when he claims to be so committed to the security of the show and everything so she's actually her name is dangerous woman that's what she's oh, okay. that's what she's called this dangerous woman so yeah. it's an interesting uh um i don't know if i
1: necessarily love the movie <laughs> Um, a choir taste, maybe. Yeah. I don't know if I love the movie, but I'm i kind of drawn to these characters where they've been singing for years in this place, and it's, you know, shutting down. Like, the characters draw me in, but the movie itself, I don't know if I particularly love it, but...
0: Do you like the musical numbers?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I,
0: enjoy I, I like it as, you know, as cheesy as it is, but it is in, the, in this type of a program where... The entire cast comes out and they all sing this song at the end. And it's it's actually quite a moving number. I think Altman movies might be an acquired taste. And he often will have a character or two, well, kind of the main plot, as it were, is happening... Or kind of in the background, lingering around. I'm thinking like the Virginia Madsen character is 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 like this, and uh, she reminded me in some ways of in the movie The Player. Uh, Lyle Lovett is is wandering around for about half of the movie, and we discover that he's. That he's this police officer, right? But he's he's just this presence that's there kind of watching the main characters. You're like, why is this guy there? And I think Altman like liked that, like to have some mysterious characters. There, in- there
1: are other Altman movies i like um but there are other ones where i really enjoy and i do like how he has just kind of like that natural like where people are improvising and it seems very natural the conversation and several conversations going on at once i like that element of it but i think this particular style maybe just wasn't wasn't wasn't
0: wasn't your thing wasn't my thing yeah i mean it and again, I think it's because it was Altman's last movie. He, he died shortly after this movie came out. Uh, and I I really wanted to see more Robert Altman movies. And I was also at a point where I was, and still am pretty sad that he never won an, a competitive Academy Award. I thought he should have won for Gosford Park. Uh, there may be some other movies where he should have won. I thought that the Academy had a perfect opportunity with that film where he was, you know, balancing out a really large cast and he'd moved a little bit out of his you know comfort zone with american films and was making actually quite a, a great british film it, in many ways it's a it's a precursor to to downton abbey because it was the same writer of downton yeah, that's abbey the, plus it had sort of like the, the it, it, it had the the murder mystery quality of a great like agatha christie type of a thing and this this mansion in britain that's uh, one of the yeah, yeah so i i was like okay this this is his last film and it's so funny that like the theme of death lingering around this maybe that's why the, i like the and madison character and performance a little bit more and the the last scene of the movie where everybody involved with the show who are still around are in this cafe which is straight out of like a film noir and it's it's kind of across from where the show we used to, to film. And then Virginia Madsen comes in for this, this one last shot. And then they're looking at each other like, oh, okay, who is she here to take now? And in many ways... It was like she was she was taking Robert Altman because he he died after this and uh, and it makes me kind of sad because he's one of my favorite filmmakers so I'm bringing that baggage to this review and to this this film so I, I understand why you might not like this one as as, as much as I do for sure again and I do you
1: think that's interesting the symbolism given the fact that I, I didn't know this was his last film so given that he would have died after this mm-hmm. it is interesting that scene, death
0: is such a theme throughout throughout this piece too. So uh, if you're an Altman fan or If you like kind of the, like the old time radio program types of music, uh, you want to see Meryl Streep and Lily Tomlin just killing it, singing. You want to see Lindsay Lohan, you know, somewhat sober and giving a focused performance. Cause I really think that she had the potential to be a talented, talented actor, but like the, the child star craziness just got too far. If she'd been able to work with Altman a little bit more and some other serious filmmakers, her life and her, the trajectory of her career might have gone in a different direction because she held her own with the cast i just mentioned and you know you you cannot be a slouch and and hold your own with Meryl Streep and lily tomlin
1: i think i think she was a she had the potential to uh do very well at acting but she just had um not the most stable family life Mm -hmm. and other things going on substance abuse
0: and that and that kind of thing so yeah i'd love to see kind of a comeback and maybe somebody will give her a chance again someday like altman did with this film and so i recommend a prairie home companion but i i do understand that uh, i might be overselling it a bit
2: and the winner is marvelous merrill (laughs) Speech. My speech. No, so it's just speech. There.
3: Okay. Short speech. <laughs> it's really. It is.
2: Oh boy. Uh, no matter how much you try to um imagine what this is like, it's just so incredibly thrilling right down to your toes. I have a lot of people to thank. And I'm gonna be one of those people that tries to mention a lot of names because I know just two seconds ago my mother and father went completely berserk. (laughs) And uh, I'd like to give some other mothers and fathers that opportunity. I'd like to thank William Styron for creating this beautiful character and for and um, Alan Pakula for bringing it to the stage and allowing me to play it. I would like to thank Marty Starger and ITC for finding the financing for it. Nestor Almendros, the great cinematographer. Albert Wolski, wonderful costumer. And the crew. Tommy Priestley, the Gerardos, the de Blau brothers. Tommy Pratt, Chris Newman, Denny Maitland, Wally Props, Lillian, Alba, Dixie, Roy Hilland, uh, <laughs> I'd like to thank my Polish coach Elena Bako, <laughs> my uh, German coaches and Cattaneo and David Friedman, and the 37 members of the American and European castes whom I won't mention <laughs> all of their names, but, but for two. I feel like I owe them um, this because uh, everything that I had I got from looking in their eyes, and uh, for the the great love they gave me for five months, I thank Kevin Klein and Peter McNichol. And I thank you all very much.
0: Well, Michelle, thank you uh, for doing this show. It's been a long, tiring day for you, I'm sure. I'm oh, glad that I was able to record a show in kind of the normal way. A lot of the shows I've had to do recently have been uh, through Zoom, as it were. And yeah, and and it's been good with Zoom, but. Uh, hopefully the sound quality will be a little sound a little bit more natural now is the time to do make some decisions with points here and i'm gonna ask you michelle how many points you're given 40 points i'm given 40 points because it was four movies this time so a few less than we normally do for out of africa how many points are you giving it
1: i'm giving it five points
0: and uh for manhattan how many points uh 10 points manhattan gets 10 points Sophie's Choice.
1: Uh, 15 points.
0: And a Prairie Home Companion.
1: And um, Prairie Home Companion, 5 points.
0: Okay, now is where I'm about to give you my points, but here's the surprise, because this is episode 10. Every 10 episodes of the Shelf Shedding Movie Show, depending on the number of movies I'm reviewing, I have to get rid of half. So in this case, it was only four movies, so the ones with the two lowest numbers of points, you're going to have to decide what to do. So I'm going to start off with Out of Africa, which I think is a beautiful, beautiful film, but it maybe has some flaws, and maybe some of them are just a little bit of me projecting different world views or 2020 perspectives on a movie that was released in 1985 but I gave it eight points. So with your five uh, Out of Africa has 13 points. I think I mentioned that Manhattan is my favorite Woody Allen film. To me while it's the shortest of the four films it's the one that I cling to the most as a genuine classic. From 1979, I gave it 15 points. So that gives it 25. You may uh, not be happy with me with Sophie's Choice. Now, Sophie's Choice... Perhaps if it was strictly about Meryl Streep's best performance in the four films, I could probably get behind Sophie's Choice, but as a total film, um, I think I have a few more problems with it than I would like, and some people might be furious because I know there there are people who absolutely love this film, Um, and they'll be happy with you for giving it 15 points, but I gave it 7 points, so it is 22 for its total. Then Prairie Home Companion, recognizing it's not Altman's best, but I think it was still a very worthy film i gave it 10 points so with your five that puts it at 15 so i should mention two of these movies are kind of from collections i tried to collect all the robert altman movies and all the woody allen movies so manhattan and prairie home companion came from some collections here which was a little bit of a factor in my show with tom our our last episode but as it happens most points goes to manhattan 25. Sophie's Choice gets the next most with 22. So the two movies that have to leave my movie collection are with 15 points A Prairie Home Companion and with 13 points Out of Africa. So Michelle you now get to decide what happens to A Prairie Home Companion and Out of Africa. Hey,
1: um, I guess i will keep out of africa mm-hmm. and a prairie home companion can go to someone of your choice she goes to
0: somebody of my choice okay <laughs> you really don't like the movie <laughs> but you want me to just give it away is there anybody specific or just anybody at all
1: um it, anyone at all. anyone at
0: all okay yeah. okay sounds good all right thank you again for uh being part of this special show an acting master class with meryl streep we'll certainly talk about more meryl streep movies um in episodes to come for sure. And I might have a because we only picked four of her many films, we uh, we may have another uh, Meryl Streep show in the future. I just want to say I'm starting to get a website together and it should be launched fairly soon. But please uh, email me at shelfsheddingmovieshow at gmail.com uh, with any comments about any of the shows. Um, still from a couple episodes ago where uh, my brother Craig was asking um, that through social media, uh, I give away Robin Hood Prince of Thieves to somebody I'm still looking for somebody to uh, claim that so if you're that interested in then we'll find some way of safely getting that movie to you but if there's anything else you want to comment on please email me uh, join the Facebook group the Shelf Shedding Movie Show uh, give it a like uh, share this episode and we'll try to get uh, more people listening to the program and hopefully gain a, a little bit more feedback on what you like and what you don't like about it as as we continue on for future episodes thank you again for joining me for episode 10 and please keep going to see the movies